We're going to ask God a couple of questions this morning. I'm calling this Why God and How Long, Lord? These are questions from Habakkuk to God. And whether we're discussing events in the Old Testament or in the early New Testament church, or if we're speaking about our own personal lives, because remember, the message to Israel is always a message to the church, and it's always personally a message to us. And there were two questions for which it was hard for people to get an answer from God. And it's the same in our present day situation. Why God? Why has God done something or not done something? And when are you going to bring about your will for me to see what you've done? And the answer we usually get from God is, wait and you will see. So nothing's changed. But there is a way to do the waiting and a way to do the seeing. In due course, God will let us know why the timing was the way it was. It's always a mystery with us. And why did we have to wait? Why couldn't it just happen? And why did you allow that to happen, Lord? Now, God doesn't mind us asking these questions because by asking these questions, we're just telling God that we don't know as much as he does. And that's a good kind of attitude of humility to have. But the one thing that we can know for certain is that God is at work. And we'll see in all of these situations, we're going to look at Habakkuk and the early church, and we'll see it in our own lives that we must never give up trusting him to bring about his will for us. God is telling us to live by faith. And that's what he told Habakkuk to do. Trusting God totally. Totally is a difficult kind of a concept, but it is where he wants to get us to. And we can't trust God totally and be anxious at the same time. However, he doesn't mind us being anxious because he's teaching us. So don't feel guilty about being anxious. Just know that on your journey to asking God, as you bring your anxieties and doubts to him, at some point, he will bring you through to the place where you can actually laugh at your own anxiety. You, you actually do. You have a chuckle. You think, oh my goodness. I didn't realise that that's what you were doing. So God wants us to get a greater revelation of who he is. Not just a better explanation from him about what he's doing. Show me the science, please, Lord. What's the formula? So that I can be confident about pulling this off myself. So that I can manage how to organise myself through the uncertainties. And God says, no, I'm sorry. He says, I'm not going to show you the science. I'll give you what you need to know, when you need to know. Not always what you want to know, but you will realise that what I've given you is the best thing to know, a new view of me and how I've brought you into a place of growing in faith and trust. And you can sense it in your own heart. I believe I'm trusting more now. Thank you, Lord. I believe, Lord, I've learned 
a little more to hang on and endure and be patient and have a living hope. There's a sense, Lord, that I'm with you and you're with me in this and I'm waiting to hear back from you what you've done. But do you know what I'm doing? I'm hanging in and trusting. And there'll be little things that you'll signal to me on the way to do obediently. Yes, that's fine. But as far as the big picture, you're looking after it. And on the journey of patience, he can show us his goodness and what he's doing by the many little things that happen. Have you ever noticed that? You've got something big that you're wanting God to do. And you think, well, Lord, I'm still here, aren't I? You know, you know we've discussed this, and, and I do believe that you are in charge here. And then he shows you something, a little happenstances. You think, wow, that's boosted my faith. That's almost as though those little things, it can happen quickly. It's not like you're, you're waiting. It's all of a sudden just happens, comes, jumps right in front of your face. And it boosts your faith. And you think, well, what was I worried about that big thing for? You just did that little thing, which seems so stupidly insignificant. And yet it is significant because I know you must have done it. You just know. Now, I had a, a situation a couple of weeks ago, closing the pharmacy. And we walk out of the pharmacy and the assistant puts the closed sign on the door. I turn the key, we go to the car park, and there are two things that, that never happen in closing up. That is, we never have to come back and do something else. You don't like going back after you've closed up because there's often somebody there saying, oh, you're open, are you? But that just doesn't happen. But a couple of weeks ago, after closing up, we got to the car park and my assistant was just about to, to go to the car and she said, oh, Paul, I left my cardigan in the shop. She said, but don't worry, um, I'll get it later. I said, no, no, we'll go back, we'll get the cardigan. And I'm thinking, I'll just make sure that um, while we're here, if it takes more than, say, half a minute, I want to make sure the alarm is off because I don't want us in here and the alarm going off. So my assistant is getting the cardigan and I go to turn the alarm off and find I hadn't turned it on. Now that never happens. And it's never supposed to happen. The alarm must be turned on. We've had some break-ins. Had the alarm not been turned on, I would have had an incident report waiting for me in a few days' time because the next pharmacist would have to write an incident report. Paul did not turn the alarm. I hate things like incident reports. But you know, I came out of there and I said, do you know what? I'm glad you left your cardigan here because now I can turn the alarm on. And we went, wow. And as I was driving home, I just chuckled and chuckled. I thought, thank you, Lord. How did you organise for that cardigan to be left there when you knew I did a dumb thing like not turning the alarm on and I come back in the alarm on and I'm, I'm smiling away. But that lifted my faith. It was like some major healing happened or something. But that was enough. See, God shows his goodness and he teaches us. You know, in, in Psalm 32, David says to the Lord, Lord, 
uh, instruct me, guide me with your eye. Just a look will do, but you've got to know the look. Otherwise, David goes on to say, otherwise you're going to have to drag me like a horse or a mule to do what you want. But it's lovely to get the look. And that was a little glance. Like, do you get it? Yeah, I organise that. Oh, thank you. And it teaches you that you'll get the look. It'll be there. And the little things are very handy. But the big things are mighty in God. There's a story in the Old Testament about Habakkuk. And everything around him seemed to be going wrong. And the prophet thought that God had forgotten him. He thought, God, you've forgotten all of us, all of Israel. They'd been terrified by the cruel, oppressive Assyrians that had come through and attacked them. Now, they had come through that with God. That was a real time of testing and trial. But now, Habakkuk could see that the Babylonians, who had defeated the Assyrians, were now coming to attack them. And he was petrified. Now, he still believed in God, but the circumstances caused doubts to come into his mind. He was just wondering, is this God using Babylon for us? God used nations to correct and discipline his people. But the big question of Habakkuk was, why does God use a wicked nation such as Babylon, for his divine purpose. Why do you have to do that, God? Why can't you just speak to us directly? And God says, well, this is speaking to you directly through this agency of something in the world. And how long, Lord, till Babylon is judged? Well, these are his questions. Why, God, and how long? He couldn't understand all the strife, the injustice, and what was happening in the nations around about him. And also, he couldn't understand the way his own people, Israel, had become unfaithful in breaking God's laws. Now, he's a serious-minded man, and he wanted to know the mind of God, and he thinks, we're in for some correction here, and I can see why the people are being disobedient, but you're using this nation to come and, and discipline us. Now, that's very much... I believe the way we can see things happening around us today. There are things happening in our culture, in the nations. We think, why are you allowing such an outrage in the nations? People in conflict and contention and shaming and blaming. The immorality, the lack of values. And there's also a kind of a recklessness of we will do it our way and we will change things to suit the way we want to live. And that's affecting not just the nations, not just our culture, it's affecting the church and it affects us. We're living in the midst of that. Let me read to you from Habakkuk 1 verse 1. Oh Lord, how long will I cry for help and you won't hear? Or cry to you, Lord, there's violence. There's too much violence and you won't save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at the wrong that's going on out there? Do you ever feel that when you look out 
you watch the news. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralysed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and justice is perverted. Things don't change really, do they, when you look at the world? And that's what God's people see. Habakkuk asks the right questions. Why and how long? What's happening here? He wanted a move of God, see? He'd been praying for a move of God, don't we? Don't we pray for that? But he was told that God's plan of action would be revealed at an appointed time. And it would surely come and it wouldn't be late. And he came to realise that Though God's ways are sometimes hidden, his people can live by faith as they wait. You may not see it right, but you know that God's at work. That is faith. And in those words, the just shall live by faith, that's what Habakkuk gets from God. And that's repeated three times in the New Testament, in Romans and in Galatians and in Hebrews. Paul speaks it out. This is how you live. You trust that God's at work in the midst of all of this disorder. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, the revelation is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, it won't lie. Though it seems to tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It won't be late, for the just shall live by faith. So God understood that Habakkuk had doubts. And God was waiting for Habakkuk to ask the tough questions. God does want to have us go to him and ask tough questions. Especially when we have doubts and he, know we, he knows we will. And he lets us know that he's at work in the situation. And he asks us to wait. He answers tough questions with direct answers. Wait. <laughs> have faith in God. So that was Habakkuk. Now when Paul wrote to the Hebrew Christians, they were having the same problem. They were doubting whether God was going to rescue them from the persecution from the Romans and the Jews that was going on in Jerusalem at the time. This was written just a little while before the Roman armies destroyed the temple. So it was very much a present thing for them. They could these were the Hebrew Christians. They were getting persecution on both sides. And the Roman armies coming to destroy the temple, which was prophesied by Jesus, by the way, in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples came to him and, and they were just looking how wonderful the temple was and they said, look at this wonderful temple and all the different places. He said, yes. he said I can see all of that. But he said, you know what? He said, there won't be one stone lying upon another. It was prophesying. It was pretty close, well, it was a few years yet to go, but he was prophesying that, that that's what would happen. And, and of course, their questions were the same sort of questions. Well, when will these things be? <laughs> Why? How long? Same questions. And what will be the sign of your coming? He knows what's in our hearts. He knows we can feel overcome by it. But he wants us to know he's overcome the world. Many of the Hebrew Christians wanted to give up. But Paul quotes the same scripture that God gave Habakkuk. He said, don't give up, just wait. 
Paul quotes that same scripture and at the same time he would have been very aware that he was one of the ones that was actually guilty of persecuting those Christians himself. That's a conversion. So let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Remember when you were first enlightened by God. He said you went through persecutions and affliction and insults. Some of your friends went to prison and he would have been very aware that he was probably putting some of them in there. But you had compassion for them. Your possessions were plundered, but you knew that you had a far more precious and abiding possession on the inside. So Paul's trying to get them to be aware, yes, there are things out there that are happening that would frighten you, make you feel insecure, but you have a possession on the inside that's greater than anything that you might feel you have to cling to that the world has to offer. That's the transition. So he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and won't delay, but my faithful one will live by faith. But if he shrinks back, I'll feel disappointed in him. But we're not of those who shrink back, Paul goes on to say, and are rendered useless or go to waste. The word is apoleia. It means you're not, this is not going to be wasted. We are going to get through this. So we are not of those who do that and shrink back, but we're of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's what God wants us to know in these days. And that's what God said to Habakkuk. That's exactly what he said to him. And our discouraged heart will say, will God come and help? When? The answer is yes. Wait for him. Trust in him. It's interesting, that's the last, the last verse that I just read in Hebrews chapter 10. I don't have to read the scripture to you, but the very next verse in the scriptures is the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, where Paul says, uh, faith is the basis of our hope. It's the assurance that God is at work in the world of the unseen. So that's, this is the faith story. The assurance that God's at work. So for us personally, whatever our present day circumstances are, the answer to how long, how long, Lord? How long do I have to go through this before maybe I get some sort of sign with your eye? I'm watching, got my antenna. Well, the answer to how long is what we just read there. He'll arrive in time, you won't be late. And that's always a tricky one. Because late, often for me, is now is late. <laughs> Your late's different my late. I won't be late. Stretch your late out a bit. Because 
He is there now. He says, I'm here now. And you know what I've got? No, Lord, what? I've got a plan of action. What is it? I'll let you know. The just will live by faith. See, our faith is not confidence in what we can do, but confidence in what Jesus is doing. Be still and know that he is God, and in capital letters, in action, in action. Paul wrote frequently throughout the scriptures how he had no confidence in his own flesh, in his own soulish thinking. His good left brain activity, being able to analyse all the what ifs and put them in their right spot and work out how to manage things. He would have been a good manager. But he said, I don't have the confidence anymore. I have to trust somebody I can't see. You know, I think God loves these question and answer situations with us. But then also, God asks us questions. There's a funny question God asked Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 37. It was about the dry bones. And Ezekiel sees all these dry bones and he's thinking, wow, this great valley of dry bones and that must represent a lot of people. I wonder what's going to happen to them. And then God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, will these bones live? <laughs> and, hey, why is it Ezekiel asking you? You're asking Ezekiel. And Ezekiel had the most perfect answer, and he says, Thou knowest. <laughs> In other words, it's back on you, Lord. <laughs> Don't ask me. But what a perfect answer. You know, so I'll be content with that. And he wants us to have an opportunity to get to know him this way. In a greater way. Like you, you get to know people that you get to know, and you get to trust them. And that's a beautiful way for, for the bonds of friendship to, to grow. And getting to know God through the Holy Spirit and Jesus showing us the Father in a greater way is, a, is not just a clinical thing like getting a fax or a show me the science and how it all works. It is show me the person, show me your heart. And the getting to know him in this is a, is a warm and familiar experience of hope and faith, learning that we can share our hearts and minds and he doesn't mind what we say in any situation because he hears and Jesus is there saying I'm going to have the Father bring about his will in your life, leave it with me, will you leave it with me? Yes! Did you hear me about what I said? I don't think I've got it very well but, but the Holy Spirit was helping you and I know he's got your feelings. He shares them with you. We work together as a team. We're one together. And we're bringing you into our oneness in this situation. So Habakkuk finally gives glory to God. And he accepts the fact it was, was not about how he could deduce or determine the solution. He had to give that up. And that was serious. It was what was going on around him in the nations. How is he going to help speak into that people, Israel, Judah at that time? How could he actually speak? What would he do? Well, it worked out the fact that he believed in God and that God was at work in a great way was what he did. 
I'm going to laugh and sing about this. That's what he said. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful prophetic <laughs> And he finishes his message with a great statement of faith. This is in the last verse of the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, which is the final chapter, verse 17, and 18 and the final verses, and this is what he says. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor there be no fruit on the vines, though the labour of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord my God is my strength. The Lord my God is my strength. And you think, well, that's the end of the verse, the end of the chapter. Now, there's one more line. He says, he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he'll make me walk on my high hills. And if you look in the Bible, look at the end of that chapter. That's the last verse. And then there's written, as a footnote, a note to the chief musician. Accompany this song with stringed instruments. <laughs> he wants us to laugh and sing. So we're going to have communion this morning. And listen to this song. Apart from the words of the song, I want you to think of the last verse of what I read there. He will make my feet like deer's feet and make me walk on my high hills. A deer is a most peculiar animal. It runs up hills on what you'd call unscalable rocks. The way it does, the deer's feet hold the answer. The front feet know what to aim for and they hit a certain spot. And once those front feet hit that spot, the deer is wired so that the back feet come up and hit exactly that same spot. Exactly that spot. And at that point, there's a spring in the deer and they go upwards and upwards. And God has given that synchronicity. In other words, the front feet is the hope. And the faith comes up and says, yes. Bang, we're going. And up they go. And then he says, I'll walk on the high hills. That's where he wants us to be today. We're going to ask God to bless our communion time together. And we thank him for giving us the deer's feet. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.